All right, welcome back to Tundra Talk, everybody. I'm Tyler Friel, and uh, doing stepping out into the experimental stage, doing my first uh, podcast via phone, and uh, couldn't think anyone better to do it with than the guy that kind of helped me get get started in this whole venture, Ryan Avery. Uh, glad to have you have you on, Ryan. Well, thanks for having me on, Tyler. It's been a long time in the the making. Yeah, it really has, man. I mean, I. I pulled out quite a bit of hair getting this whole thing figured out, but I definitely appreciate the help as much as anything, just like getting me squared away on a few good things to start with. So I wasn't just having to learn, you know, learn the hard way. Uh, No problem, man. I think you're the, you're the type of guy that needs to be the voice for Alaska. You're a hardcore DIYer. I'm not trying to blow smoke up your butt, but the first person I thought of uh, should have a podcast out of Alaska is Tyler Friel. He may be ugly, but he knows how to hunt. <laughs> yeah, or at least at least pretends to. But yeah, I can't. Oh, uh, I don't know, man. How many sheep you got now? I just saw another picture the other day. Yeah, I just killed number twelve. Number twelve. Now, how many? Let me ask you this: How many of those are draw hunts? Uh, how many of those are over the counter? Just this one was a draw. This is the first sheep tag I've ever drawn. And so actually, have, in fifteen yeah. in fifteen years, it's only like the third tag for anything I've drawn. Oh, you're one of them. You're the anti drawers. Yeah, I just repel draw tags like nobody's business, man. It's a conspiracy, or it was a conspiracy till I drew this tag this year. <laughs> well, I'm not trying to take over your podcast, but you, so you have eleven of those are over the counter, or two yeah, of those? eleven of them were, yeah. So how, how, like, what's that? I, only thing I've ever hunted in Alaska, and you people can say it's not even really Alaska, was Kodiak for blacktail. So what, what's involved just being an outsider looking in and maybe wanting to hunt doll sheep one day is, is it, you know, everybody seems to have a four-wheeler or a side-by-side or a six-by-six. Do you have to hike or do you have to take one of your six-by-sixes away or is it just strictly fly in or uh, how does all that work? It, it all kind of depends. I mean, you know, like if we're talking non-residents coming up to do it, they do require you, the state requires you either hire a, a guide or um, or hunt with a resident that's like within second degree of kin. Um, so like a close family member and they define all that. But like strictly uh, like how you do it, it really varies depending on the area. I mean, there's a lot of area that's only... only accessible by airplane basically um but really the last one see like four years yeah the last four years i've gone um just where i've taken the four-wheeler and then hiked from there so you know you ride the (laughs) four-wheeler however far and then hike another you know 10 15 20 miles depending on what where we were going Gotcha. That that makes sense. And so that's for sheep, goat, and grizzly bear, right? You have to have a guide that works. Uh, yeah. I think I think those are the only ones: sheep, goat, and grizzly bear. Yeah. So on those those the sheep, then you or the yeah the doll sheep tags. You just pick a spot that has sheep and buy a tag and roll out. Yeah, kind of. I mean, you don't even really buy a tag. The over-the-counter, um, you just you get them for free with your hunting license. They call it a, har- <laughs> a harvest ticket. Uh, that's insane. Yeah. And I guess before we get too carried away, a little background. Ryan's down in Idaho, 
correct? Yeah. Yep, I live in beautiful Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Yep, and uh, also you you are uh, co-owner of Rockslide. Yep, me and Robbie Denning co-own yeah. Rockslide. It's the uh, if you haven't heard of it, you probably should have um, website and forums, basically all about mountain hunting and and uh, I don't know, kind of every aspect from what I gather, right? Yeah, we kind of started as a unbiased place to talk about gear. We do gear reviews, kind of uh, this is how it is, and anyway, our opinion on it, anyways. And it, there wasn't me and Aaron and David really got it going. It wasn't there was really nothing like that. There's yeah. other people that do it, but not quite as unbiased as we'd have liked it at the time. Yeah, it seems like this day and age, any kind of looking at gear, you always have to kind of take it with a grain of salt and wonder what kind of like biases you are well or is this company paying this guy or did he just get it for free and is that why and i mean being involved in the industry i get you know a fair amount of stuff for free too i still buy a lot but it's you know i still try to anytime i've given my opinion on a piece of gear you know take into account whether or not i would buy it or not yeah, I, I vaguely, I, I not vaguely, I, I remember this like it was yesterday. I read this article in this popular magazine, and they were testing spotters. And they had a Zeiss spotter, I believe they had a Swaro spotter, and they had a like or a Leopold spotter, and they had like a Bushnell. Anyways, long story short, they said the best value and the best optical scope was a Leopold. And I'm not knocking on Leopold's, but it just happened to be that the title sponsor of this particular magazine was Leopold. Yeah. <laughs> so so you put it all together, you're like, huh, that's interesting. It beat out those, you know, you've, you've messed with the top three, which everybody calls them yeah. the top three. It's it's really hard to beat them. And, it's, and if you're telling the truth, it probably didn't. But, you know, they were the title sponsor, so that particular spotter one and that's what kind of triggered rock slide yeah i can definitely definitely understand that and i mean oh if i can even think of what i'm trying to say i uh being involved you know writing for outdoor life and i've done a few tests and stuff i mean just getting started in that arena really and they're pretty dang good like i've never been told hey you need to you need to make this, you need to improve the score for this or whatever, <laughs> you know, it's, it's always right. been very objective and that's always important to me. Cause I don't know, like I'm sure you did. I got, when I got started hunting and even sheep hunting was just scrounging together, whatever gear I could afford. And you kind of depend on, on being able to find some sort of accurate honest opinion on gear when you're talking about dropping you know potentially several thousand bucks on stuff oh absolutely yeah there's you you just want to know that you're getting your value and that's that i can't say it wasn't happening but this particular magazine for some reason triggered in me that there should be another source that is a little more unbiased but yeah you want to hear the truth and you don't want to get something that uh, is bought and paid for by that company to that magazine or website. Yeah. Um, Cause it may sell some scopes, but it may not, you know, it, it, I don't know. I just see like, what, what good is it if you're, if it's not being honest, you know, like I, 
I don't know, kind of into that realm. Like I, I love loophole rifle scopes, especially, I mean, they're, and granted, I haven't run through the whole gamut, but for hunting rifle scopes, they're my favorite, um, for a few reasons, but, uh, and man, I'm just like losing track of where I'm, where I'm going with all this. (laughs) (laughs) No. And I think this day and age from the most part, most gear is pretty good anyways. Yeah. It's just, it's, you know, it's just the little uh, bells and whistles that you want on it to make it different and jack the price up or down. Yeah. And, uh, I guess where I was going with that though is, you know, in last year they, they sponsored some of the content I did for outdoor life and, uh, you know, so I was using loophole stuff and I already kind of like the rifle scopes are already my favorite. However, you know, and you know, like their binos and spotting scopes, like they ain't my EL ranges, you know, or SLCs. Right. Like they're, they're just not, it doesn't mean they're not good optics, but, um, and I was comfortable saying, you know, I'm comfortable saying they are what they are. Like they're good, a good value and good optics for the money, but it just chaps and you know, you, me and, and Aaron have like gone around the horn. It just chaps my ass when, you know, anyone, Oh, well, this is the best. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. The, and it's funny when, uh, and people eat it up too, which I don't understand is a certain hunting celebrity will say, this is the best, but that's all they run because they're getting paid for by that company. And I know that person has to eat. And I know that person is getting paid, uh, you know, to make a living, but, it's always funny how people just jump on that hook, line, and sinker, and they don't stand back and say, wait a minute, he's getting paid from that company. Of course he's going to say it's the best, and I see that over and over and over again. It kind of just cracks me up. And I don't I don't even understand why you have to say that, make claims like that, that are like, you may believe they're true, but I don't know, I just, I just get really touchy about when I'm, you know, say in particular saying anything's all the best or being like over zealous, I guess. Right. You know what I mean? Like, even if it's yeah. like my favorite, like, you know, my backpacks or any, any particular thing I have that it may be my favorite, but I just don't understand why some people kind of out there in the industry or influential space or insta famous or whatever you want to call it like right right you know, they they it seems like they've got to go over the top a little bit too much no i totally agree with that and i think that you know and everything's subjective especially optics you know because the biggest thing with optics is you bring your own your own lenses to the party and i can't tell you what you're seeing so yeah. it's so subjective it's hard to say anything is the best it may be the best for you, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's the best for me. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, just same thing with backpacks, you know, what, what everybody's using. There was uh, maybe it may have been on this cause Ryan had me on his podcast back. Uh-huh. I think it was at shot show. Yeah. Well, yep. It was a shot show. And this was kind of when I was getting, had decided I wanted to do one of my own and, uh, for a little background, and yep. I think I had brought this up on that. I think it was it was some backpack related comment where a guy, oh, this is the best, you know, bar none. And I'm like, well, how? What kind of experience do you have with it? And then and then people get offended. You know, they think you're trying yeah. to measure peckers or something when <laughs> when it's just like, you know, I'm like, well, hey, if I if 
you know, or is that how you're going to ask some, you know, someone that doesn't is like brand new green getting, getting started at something and they will, I would, you kind of want to vet your sources a little bit, don't you? Yeah. That in this day and age, it doesn't seem to be the case. You know, they take people, which, which never in time in history can we find so much information so quick. And there's a lot of people that don't use that information. They just take everything at face value and that's what they roll with. Yeah. <laughs> and, or take into account their own. I mean, there's so much stuff that, you know, you got to, it just takes time to learn, you know, like there may be, you know, the same staying on backpacks, for example, there may be three or four different, you know, there's three or four different brands of backpacks out there that are good packs, but it may take me some time to figure out what works best for me. You know, obviously in the day where, you know, most guys can't, can't swing for five different backpacks, you know, it may take a little more work to figure out what you want or, or whatever. You may just have to be stuck with something that works for a while, but yeah, those, those, the price point on those backpacks, the higher end ones are, they're getting up there. But the cool thing is, is if you, if you do your research, you can find somebody, you can get on Rockside, you can get on Facebook, you can get on, you know, name the website and find somebody close to you that has the pack, you know, people love to show off their gear. So it's not out of the realm to throw out and say, Hey, I want to try on a Kafario or an Exo or a stone glacier and, uh, find somebody close to you to try it out before you buy it. Yeah. Especially, uh, and I guess I can't say that that's not the case for, for up here in Alaska or, you know, whether you're in Fairbanks or Anchorage, you know, you're probably going to be able to find some guys to, that, would be willing to to show you stuff i mean i've told guys around here that they're more than willing to and i have lent out a couple of my packs for them to try you know because i'm like i know how expensive they are and i'd rather have someone try something and make sure it's going to work before they before they go spending that money on it yeah and i'd say that in alaska on the rock side side alaska is i think the third or fourth biggest uh basically member base so there's a lot of backpack hunters up there so you could definitely find one of those packs oh yeah and speaking of that does luke moffett still do stuff for you guys yeah yeah he's been a little he's been a little uh quieter <laughs> since he's a dad now yeah. molly came in and kind of slowed all that down but uh well, no he's still writing books. she didn't slow him down too much i noticed they're still out carting her around and laying stuff down oh, didn't slow him down hunting wise probably slowed him down on the online stuff <laughs> yeah but uh yeah luke's another one i want to get on here and maybe i'll start doing a little more of it since i've got i think i have the phone stuff figured out um oh luke would be a gem especially for your alaskan audience oh yeah luke's such luke's such a good dude and and really a huge knowledge base so um, I've yeah, been, he is. He's one of the funniest people I've ever been around. He's, yeah. he's dry, super dry sense of humor. He's hilarious. My kind of guy, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, and Beck is awesome. And uh, yeah, Luke is just mellow, but he has his little dry sense of humor wisecracks. He's pretty funny. Oh, yeah. I, I know the type. <laughs> I, uh, well, I was in there... Uh, I stopped by their house a couple of years ago. I had to make it to get some material for this construction job. I had to do a turn and burn to Anchorage and, and come back. But I stopped at their place on the way back. And, uh, you know, they're showing me around. And look at one of the mounts, you know, kind of a cheap on a Trapper Nelson backpack. 
and uh, said, oh, sheep and a goat in the same trip, huh? Because, <laughs> you know, they had goat, <laughs> goat hide rolled up, and they're like, oh, most people don't catch that that's goat hide. <laughs> nice. But Like you've seen, you may have seen a goat or a sheep before, huh? Maybe. I only killed three goats, but I don't know. So that is it. No, go ahead. Go ahead. That, that's over the counter also for you suckers too, I imagine. In some areas, there's, I mean, there's a fair number of, of what they call registration hunts, which basically just boils down to over the counter. And uh, <clears throat> there are, I don't know whether it's 50, I, I haven't looked into it enough. There's there's some draw areas and some, some uh, over the counter areas. And, you know, kind of everyone's been flocking to Kodiak, but it really, I mean, there are a ton of goats down, the, down there right now. When I went on a Kodiak hunting deer, it's been two years ago now, I think we saw four and we weren't even looking for them. Oh yeah, four. It, especially, well, I went this, I went in March this year for the last, you know, week of the season and, oh, we saw 150 of them maybe. I mean, and of course, just, just, yeah, of course, seeing goats and getting, getting, you know, a goat you want where you can get to them and recover them is two or two different things. But, uh, yeah, we saw, we saw plenty of goats. I ended up shooting a nice nanny like the first day we could hunt. I wasn't going to be too terribly picky. And we really, in that, that area, we didn't see too many billies, like only two for sure you know, that were, that were any kind of mature. There were a couple like real young ones, but. Now I hear they can take a bullet. Is that true? They they take some lead. They sure can. I, uh, the first one I shot, actually I had my three, I shot with my 375 and, uh, had to shoot it twice. And then the second one I shot with my 25-06 and had to shoot it a couple times. And then uh, this last one I only shot once. I shot it with a 300 mag, but uh, I don't know. I've seen especially those big billies can just soak it up. I mean, even I think the one my buddy watched my buddy shoot this real big billy. I think he was shooting like a 340 Weatherby, if that's even a cartridge. <laughs> yeah, it is. I think it was a 340 Weatherby, and he'd shoot him and it'd kind of knock him down, and he'd just get back up keep trucking he'd shoot him and he'd hunch up it was just weird there they can pack lead as good as anything i've seen yeah i i have never shot one never even witnessed anybody shoot one but everybody i talked to they are hardy so would you and you'd say i think we talked about this the other day a sheep like a doll sheep is not that hardy of an animal to put a bullet in it no they are they're pretty wimpy critters as far as <clears throat> taking lead I have, now I have seen quite a few of them, uh, quite a few, I've seen several of them shot, you know, with, I mean, even like a 300 short mag and just kind of stand there and soak up a couple of them, but they're not going anywhere. You know, every, you know, it seems like 50-50, half the time they just drop on the spot and then the other half the time they'll... They'll stand there and just kind of soak up. Looks like they didn't even get hit, but then they'll just tip over. <laughs> That's crazy. And how do you compare them when with like a grizzly compared to those two? Are they is a grizzly hardy or no? Yeah, they are. It's it's just such a weird thing. 
Like I've seen them die so fast. I think on average from the ones I've seen, grizzlies and brown bears, they die quicker with a bow if they don't know you're there. Gotcha. Um, you know, once guns start going off, those grizzlies tend to get a little riled up and spin around and uh, sometimes charge after you. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they're, I don't know, they're just, everyone builds them up into these mythical things that you got to <laughs> have a, a 458 to kill. And, I mean, Luke and Becca, they, yeah, Becca killed her bear with a 308, and it was over a nine foot bear, I think. And, you know, have a buddy down that lives on Kodiak three years ago or so killed a, a legit 11 foot bear with uh, a 308. Just sacked 308. him. Sacked him. <laughs> it does nothing great, but does everything good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, so I don't know, you know, and on, er, on earlier episodes of this podcast, me and my buddy Frank, you know, Frank's always, oh, I always say shot placement, you know, and it's true. You know, sometimes it's nice to have a margin, margin of error, but. Right. And it, and the, the hardest thing that I've shot at is elk and, you know, and it's, there's so many factors, bullet placement, bullet construction, and then it comes down to each individual elk is, you know, no different than us. If I got shot, I may act, may act different if you got shot, not trying yeah. to make it more weird or anything, but it's true. Each animal has a different will to live. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think there's just, <clears throat> there's so many factors that play into it that it, it just, you know, you can't ever totally predict what's going to happen. No, but on another note, I'm not trying to take over your podcast, but tell me about that 270 O'Connor or whatever you said you were hunting with. Oh yeah. That that, with. Um, 27 O'Connor. And we talked about this a little bit, um, with my buddy, Steve Hollenbeck. He's the guy that built the rifle for me. Uh-huh. Um, and I think he's he's still in the field now. He was up guiding, so hopefully I'll get a hold of him um, as soon as he gets back into town. But uh, yeah, that cartridge he was we we're he had kind of was building a few of us rifles, and I'm trying to think back, and maybe he totally explained it, but he was kind of looking for something new and talking to uh, Pacific Tool and Die, who makes the reamers, they had never made a reamer for a 280 improved neck down to 270. <laughs> and uh, at least that's what they told him. So he got the reamer and um, just decided to call, call it a 27 O'Connor. He's got a couple cartridges. He's kind of pet cartridges he's working on and wants to name them after outdoor riders and you know i mean jack o'connor was a big 270 guy and and you know kind of legend considered legendary sheep hunting guy and definitely a you know phenomenal rider so uh that's kind of where that came from you know whether someone wants, wants to call it something else or not that's what it is so it's basically a 270 ackley improved It's, I think the two the two eighty case is bigger than a two seven the two eighty Remington case is bigger than a two seventy Winchester case by a gotcha. little bit. So it's the two eighty Remington case improved and then neck down to two seventy. That's interesting because I was growing up. One of the guy old timer I hunted with he had a two seventy Gibbs that I believe was based off the two eighty case. 
So huh. it'll be interesting to see how close they are. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's fun to get nerdy about that sometimes. <laughs> the other half of me is in the, you know, with the kind of mindset that, like, what do you need to get super fancy for? Because, shoot, I, I mean, I killed <laughs> as many sheep as anything with a six, and that's still, like, kind of has a special place in my heart. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I agree. You can get as dumb and into the weeds as you want, and some things I do and some things I don't. I do hate fire farming, so I try to stay away from it. Yeah, and I think, I can't remember if Steve said he had to fire farm, because I got 280 improved brass. And then uh, I can't remember if he said he had to fire form them or if the dyes he had made, if it was a gentle enough transition that he could just go with it. I imagine you're only going from 284 to 277. I imagine it wouldn't be that big of a neck Yeah, down. I, I want to say that he, he said he didn't have to fire form them. But, I mean, the rifle, it's got a Lilja barrel on there. It's it's a tack driver, so. Are you shooting 140s out of it? Uh, 130 hornady inner bonds which i got those bullets a few years ago and i think they quit making that bullet they did they did which kind of sucks because i really like that bullet but i mean there's plenty of stuff i'll just have to work up work up another load for it um, kind of spe- kind of speed you get out of that not really what we thought we would i think it uh we were getting like third we're getting like 3100 i want to say with a 130 Wow, that's better than I thought. Actually, I mean it's it's not bad at all. It's it's a lot of gun really for for a two seventy. But uh, bet that sheep didn't like it. <clears throat> no, he didn't. It uh, it's kind of ironic because I we loaded up some more ammo, which actually we were doing while I recorded the podcast with Steve, and went out to like just kind of re-verify. I'd only I'd shot the rifle a couple times this summer, just you know, a group each time I was out, I was trying to work up a load for another 300 and, uh, and it was shoot just tack driver right, right where it was supposed to be. And I went out after we loaded this ammo and I'd cleaned it. And the first couple, you know, the first like fouling group was real tight and then started just spraying and I couldn't get it. And I, what it boiled down to, I think, is I wasn't let that bar- letting that barrel cool off enough. And, uh, Cause I, you know, just went back again and, and it was shooting just like it was supposed to, but you get three shots out of it before she starts walking. Now what taper barrels on it, do you know? Oh, I can't remember the profile. She's thin though. <laughs> she gets hot and fast. I hear you. I have a couple guns like that. Got to watch them. Yeah. And so and it's like, it doesn't do you any good if you... You know, it's like, ah, you let it cool down to, you know, where it's maybe just a little warm. Well, that's so many degrees that that barrel's already heated up, so it's going to heat up even faster the next time you start, you know, the next group. <laughs> and it's just a just an endless spiral of frustration. Yeah, those little noodle barrels are fun. Yeah, but I, I went... You know, went through all the trouble verifying, you know, out to four, out to like 400 and, uh, shot the sheep at a hundred yards. So that's <laughs> how it works out. It seems like he put all that effort in and it ends up being 50, 80, hundred yards. Yeah. 
I think that was almost, I think the, I shot one sheep closer than that. And it was just such a weird deal. There was no stock. I mean, I, I got up to this spot to go glass and they kind of just literally walked up on me. And, uh, we talked, kind of went into debt, into in depth on that on the last podcast. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was a weird one, man. And then I was faced with, well, this could be over right now. That's a nice ram. And I, I thought he'd make 40, but he didn't. So is that like the, uh, 30 inch mule deer, 40 inch? Yeah. Yeah, it really yeah. is. And I did, I let him trick me, but. I, I, the only good looks I had at him, I couldn't see the top half of his head, so I couldn't tell how low he dropped. I could tell he was 10, at least 10. He ended up being 11 and he had that length. So I was thinking, eh, well, that's two or three things that I'm looking at to, uh, have him make 40 and he was just a little shallow, but no, that's okay. He's, I mean, 38 inch Ram's a nice Ram and I'm, I'm super happy with him. Got to find Heck a place yeah. to put him now. Yeah, I don't want to hear your. I'm giving you no sympathy. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, good times. Oh yeah, but uh, yeah, we didn't even really talk at all about what we were going to talk about. Um, was there anything else on kind of rock slide that? I guess more people know mm-hmm. about rock slide than know about this podcast. So. <laughs> Yeah, we have man, we, it's, yeah, we have fifty to seventy thousand people on their day. Unique IPs is kind of crazy. Man, that is crazy. What have you guys been doing lately? Is are you got any big projects you've been working on putting out or? Um, no, I mean we just kind of the new gear comes out and we kind of actually, I can't say we go dormant this time of year, but we definitely slow down on how much art, how many articles we produce because nobody's reading them; they're all hunting. Yeah, <laughs> but we. Uh, get ready to crank back up first year new gear comes out so there's always a reset but we all have tags robbie the other owner has a couple deer tags in idaho and tanya and i have seven elk tags six of them are within a six-week period so it should be real fun jeez (laughs) it's kind of deal go ahead that sounds intense sounds more more intense than you know back when you could shoot five caribou up on the slope Well, the cool part is, is well, three are in Idaho, one's in New Mexico, and two are in Colorado. But it's kind of deal where you didn't think you'd draw any of them, so you put in for all of them, and then you ended up with every one of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that kind of a deal. Did you ever so, put in for any any tags up here, like moose tags or caribou tags, or? That's a funny story, Tyler. It's kind of it's kind of uh, still irks me. I drew. Luke had me put in for a tag up there, and I couldn't tell you which moose tag it was. And I drew it, and sure, sure enough, Tanya hurt her hip at work and had to have hip surgery, so I couldn't go last year. Oh, man. Yeah, so that was the only tag that I would have had. Or, oh, sorry, the only time I would have been in Alaska hunting inside from the blacktail deer. Man. Yeah, you ought yeah. to think about putting in for that that 28 28- caribou hunt you know kind of on the north side of the alaska range there's been uh it's producing some big bulls i saw a picture um a guy that i need to have on here when he if he ever i can ever catch up to him you know was guiding down there and oh they got had a guy with a bow hunter shoot just a monster caribou 
Is that a bow or is that a rifle tag? No, it's 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 an either or. It's a rifle tag, but gotcha. And that's aside from some specific areas. You know, most of the state is just kind of whatever you want, really. Um, gotcha. And so you you know you'll see guy. It's not like not like a lot of lower forty eight states where you, you have you know broke down into all these specific rifle seasons and it's it, it's i don't know i can't say it's too much too different but it's just a little bit more flexible than a lot of other states yeah i definitely want to get back into that i'm hoping i have a really not a chance in hell but my sons had just graduated from basic in the air force and one of them one of the places he can be stationed he finds out pretty quick is up there so I got my fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. Tell him to try and get stationed up here, and then you can make him drag you along sheep hunting. Yeah, that he would be. Oh, yeah, it'd be some big coaxing. He would definitely have to be bribed, but he'd do it. <laughs> is he? Is he big? Real big into hunting? You think as much as you? Uh, no, not as much as me. He shot a nice antelope. He shot a nice elk. He shot a nice couple nice deer. But he's not. I can't say he's in it for the the love of it he kind of just says all right dad i'll do it so he'd take me out sheep hunting though yeah he, he wouldn't have a choice he i better. raised him that little sucker taking me sheep hunting. yeah <laughs> or or you know may yeah if, if it comes to that we may be able to talk and uh and he can just pack all our pack all our heavy shit and and we'll you and me will go knock a couple down that'd be beautiful he'll yeah just, so he'll just have to stay there with us so you can shoot i think he's got to be within 100 yards oh he'd be of no problem doing yeah. that and he's in much better shape than my fat ass so he would uh he would be along for the ride like oh. i said i'd have to bribe him oh me too i'm sure man i'm i'm no example of fitness i think did i tell you the story last year my doctor called saying i was obese no that's fucking awesome yeah so what what did he say (laughs) well i and and i can't i apologize if i already told this story on the podcast but my wife last (laughs) summer had been had been bugging me to go in for you know i hadn't been in for a checkup in years and so all right you know she's basically just told me i was going in for a checkup so I go in and you know, they get your weight and go in there and he comes in and flipping through papers and, you know, mind this, like all my, my blood pressures, like say perfect, but it's great and everything's looking good. And he's so he's, uh, you know, you're, you're technically obese, right? I'm like, well, yeah, I could use lose a few pounds, and I just kind of was like, yeah, well, I'll, I'll I just lose, I'll lose it when I go sheep hunting. He's like, you know, that's pretty hard. I said, have you ever heard of trained to hunt? <laughs> that's what he said. To yeah, you. that's literally what he said to me. I was like, oh gosh, hmm. man. I'm thinking no. back. I'm I'm really slow because normally I, you know, I think of the perfect things to say. Like sometimes minutes hours or weeks later and uh i, I should have messed if i if i'd been thinking i would have messed with him and been oh well have you been sheep hunting you know blah blah and you know well how many sheep have you killed yeah have you was he a fit fella was he he looked he looked like he was in pretty decent shape 
I have a similar story with being told I was fat. You know, in the army, you have to be under a certain weight, or they tape you. They yeah. measure your neck, and well, it, the standards are like from the 1940s. So basically, I would say half of us are on the fat boy program. Yeah. So we have to go get taped and we it never, never failed Tyler. We'd get lectured by a guy that weighed 400 fucking pounds about how we need to lose weight. <laughs> yeah. It nah. was, uh, it was funny. And I like, and you know, of course he's going off the whole body mass index, which I'm not denying. I got a few extra gallons of gas in the reserve tank, but, uh, <laughs> I'm like, dude, I'm like, I, I have been like, according for my height, I think I had to be 195 pounds to not be overweight. I'm like, I've been, you know, I went through a phase where I was running all the time right out of high school. I don't know what I was thinking, but, uh, like, you're obviously I, confused. Yeah. I was like, I've, I've been 190 pounds and like, it hurt to sit down on anything. Um, just not for me. <laughs> You know, anyway, all, all this stuff, I, I really wish I would have messed with the dude and that he would have been like a, a kind of sheep hunter, like that he'd been before. Just so well, like, did you bother to tell him you already shot 11 sheep or 10 sheep at the time or whatever it was? Uh, it was 10 at the time, but I was, I, I didn't. I can't remember why. I, I kind of, like, I kind of fall apart in the moment when it could be so perfect. You know, it's like once a year I get like a really good burn on time. Oh man, I've watched you do some debating on Facebook and Instagram. You're pretty good at it. Well, see that—that's what's nice because I can think about it. Yeah. <laughs> like elementary school playground. No, I wasn't very good at it. It was like later that day or whatever. I was ah, oh, I should have said that. I, I'm with you. I'm not the greatest debater, not because I can't think. It's because I go from not pissed off to pissed off in like two seconds and it's just like fuck off i don't want no part of it well i've been going to pissed off lately because i'm now officially one week off of the copenhagen oh i had damn to, i just finally had to quit cold turkey man i can't i tried weaning myself i tried the gum it just does, it's not gonna work um so i i chewed from when i was about 14 to when i was probably around 21 ish I don't know, 20th? Anyways, I still crave that shit, dude. So it doesn't it doesn't go away, but it does get better. Yeah, that's what everyone told Well, my buddy Frank, I mean, he, he's been off it for like three years, and he's doing good. And see, that's the same thing he told me is it gets better. My uncle, <laughs> just the other day, was tell, as I was telling him, he's like, I know what you mean. He said, I haven't, he's, uh, I don't know how, he's, he said he quit like 30 years ago, and he said still talking about it makes his mouth water. <laughs> oh, smelling it, dude. Smelling, smelling it makes it. is the worst. Yeah, so just got to mm -hmm. buckle down and take her one day at a time. Shit, now you're really going to be obese. Yeah. <laughs> I got to watch it. <laughs> oh, you'll be hunting the lowland sheep yeah. next year. <laughs> I was... Uh, I was being a smart-ass, of course. I think it was Journal of Mountain Hunting or something on their Instagram the other, the other day put up a picture of eating something and said, oh, what's, you know, name a better name a better glass and snack. We'll, I, you know, we'll wait. And I'm like, Copenhagen. 
<laughs> Are they saying uh, you had to have some fans on that one? Yeah, I think it it, uh, it worked. They gave like some some emoji like sly face. I don't know how to read that kid stuff, but uh, no, I th- I thought that was pretty good. That was my burn for the week. That's freaking. I think I saw that post. Are you are you on the hunting side? Are you done for the year? No, I'm uh I'm going moose hunting like the end of the moose season, uh like the fifteenth through the twenty fifth. I'm going moose hunting. And then uh looking like you're gonna go down to Kodiak and uh help old Mookie get his brown bear and shoot some deer in October, November. The mookster. Is he gonna try to shoot with his bow? Yep. He's supposedly gonna take his recurve. So, that should be epic. Hopefully you video it. Oh, that's the plan. That would yeah. be awesome. Tell me you should shoot a stone point, too. Don't be a pussy. He should. I got a couple of them left. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah, so I luckily have two of them left. I was able to recover that one from this spring and uh, got two of them left, and it's going to be... I'm not going to quit till I either run out of stone points or I kill a grizzly with them. I don't blame you, man. That'd be interesting. Yeah, but I, mean, I and I don't know why. Like it's not, it's not that different. And I have, and it works. Like you know, I shot that seven foot black bear with it, and it just zipped right through. You know, there's not, not a doubt in my mind that it works. It's just like for some reason I'm hung up on this idea, and I can't let it go until I do it. <laughs> Dude, there's been more animals killed with a stone point than a, uh, you know, metal broadhead. <laughs> than far, a, obviously, well, probably than by a rifle. If you add up all these years, all the years, oh, I'd of, still, I would still take the stone point over. Probably both of them still combined. Yeah, yeah. Over the years, yeah. What? So, what made you onto that kick? Somebody challenge you? No, you just, I. Uh, said, no, I actually, because I had been, uh, the, I helped a couple guys on their moose hunt last year. I kind of, I gave them a ride out on the four-wheeler and picked them up. And one of the guys was a uh, kind of semi-retired um, flint napper. And uh-huh. had done like a lot of professional flint napping, uh, you know, for museum reproductions and stuff like that. And had haunted quite a bit with them and... And we just got to talking, and I was thinking, oh, it'd be cool. It'd be cool to kill a black bear with one, you know. And then he's like, well, why not a grizzly? I'm like, oh, why not? So that kind of kicked it off, and you know, kind of an exchange, you know, as a gift for helping them out. He made me three points. Nice. And uh, the one I shot the black bear with, I never could find, but it worked. Oh yeah. Man, you get a good sharp one. There's, there's no doubt in my mind. It would just slice right on through. Oh, the car! Like, uh, I have just have not seen that much carnage. Um, you know, blood. You know, blo- you know, bears. Man, they don't bleed very well. Even with, even with a good, like a good heart hit. Last year, the grizzly I shot through the heart, and the exit was coming out the bottom, and still like no blood. Well, this thing you could at least follow the blood trail. Until about 50 yards back there, there was just a huge swath of just solid blood where he was spinning around, you know, biting at the arrow. 
Right. And he didn't last long. He only made it like 50 yards, and he was piled up right there. Oh, yeah, those bears, they do not like to bleed. They are built not to bleed. Nope. And, and you know, the grizzly that that I lost that ended up not even being lethal, um, I got pictures of him a few days later, a week later. He was bleeding like, I mean, I thought there was no, I just kept expecting to see him around the next bush the way he was bleeding, but it just slowly petered out. <laughs> just had to, had to drink a, drink a cup of disappointment that, that day. Oh, especially with a stick bow. Then you throw it, you know, storm point obviously works, but the odds were stacked against you, man. Yeah, I mean, what it all boiled down to is I just made a bad shot for whatever reason. I'm not sure exactly why or what happened. You know, it's not like some shots where I know exactly what I did wrong. Um, it was just frustrating because it's, you know, in really a slam dunk situation, like I, there's every reason I should have made that hit, hit him exactly where I wanted to, and I just didn't. So, you know, I guess... That's just the way she goes. Oh, yeah, I've all been there. I seem to miss. I missed, I think I told you this on the last podcast, but I missed a bull, a 5x6 bull elk with my stick bow at no more than 11 yards by 4 feet. Yeah. Four feet over his back. And if every time I've shot an animal with a stick bow, if, if I can get to the point in that pre-draw where I'm saying pick a spot, pick a spot, pick a spot, I am pretty much deadly you know, out to that 20, 25 yard mark. But every time I've missed, I can go back and think I was not picking the spot. And I, and where that arrow went is where I was looking. Yeah. And it's, and I guess, you know, my unique, I'm trying to think I've missed a couple deer. I missed one deer, a blacktail. And then I, I wounded one that we tracked down and got, um, and that was years ago. And then the only other animal I've lost with a bow was uh, a moose that we were float, we're in a canoe and pulling up to this moose. And I kind of was waiting for a window. You could see him. He, I mean, he was like 15 yards away. But, you know, I came to full draw and, and we're pulling the canoe up, drifting. And I was waiting for this window I could see coming up through the alders. And as soon as we hit that, I let her go, and it looked perfect till it just hit a, hit a little willow limb I didn't see or something. And uh, I think I heard it hit him, but I think it was in the leg. I mean, he quit bleeding real fast, and we could never catch up to him. Um, That's the joys of archery. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, it... <clears throat> and me being kind of anal myself, I... I even though I know it happens to everybody eventually, if you shoot enough stuff, you know, you still don't like it. And I guess if you get to the point where you don't care, then you need to hang her up. Oh, yeah, you got to care. I mean, I hate seeing animals suffer at any level. That's, you know, that's, it's part of the game, but, you know, we get, la- we get labeled as these bloodthirsty killers. But, hell, I don't even like watching bears attack deer on YouTube or on Instagram. I hate watching that stuff. Oh, yeah. Or wolves so. hamstringing moose, you know? Yeah, moose, elk, ripping fawns out, ripping calves out, yeah. Yeah, did wow. you, uh, did I see you talk to, you? did you even do another podcast with uh, the um, Wolf Management, or Wildlife Management Foundation down there? No, I just kind of a reprieval. People were asking about it because uh, 
we just we just got a banquet going down here. It's October sixth. There's a banquet for the uh, Foundation Wildlife Management in Coeur d'Alene. So we're just kind of bringing it back to the attention of everybody. But anybody that lives around here, around Coeur d'Alene area, we have that banquet. It'd be awesome if you'd show up. And if you just want to donate, you can't get to the donation, you can't get to the banquet, go to the Foundation of Wildlife Management and donate. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's uh, kind of a big deal. I mean, and, you know, some of the things like that are, are always interesting to talk with guys like you about just the difference – the differences between up here and, and places down in the States. I mean, we got wolves and, and, you know, I think we most of the time are able to manage them pretty well, you know, effectively the state, you know, a lot of times is taken, they'll just get up in a helicopter and blast them in certain areas when they feel they need to, to uh, help out the moose and caribou. But um, the wolves down there, I mean, you're, You've been around long enough. You probably remember when they first put them in down there, huh? Yeah, I and we're kind of in the not the epicenter, I should say, of where they where they've taken over, but we're close to it. They released them in I think '95 in Wyoming and uh, in the Yellowstone, and then they just kind of they released a few more in different locations in Idaho and Montana. And uh, it, and people, I was just arguing with a guy about a post yesterday about he's selling telling me how great the hunting and hunting is in Wyoming for elk. It's at an all time high. Well, it's, it's a microclimate thing. The places where, where elk are doing the worst from wolf predation is in remote thick timbered areas because there's really no other way to get them out of there, but trapping or get a hunter just getting lucky. And, uh, people and you're, just take it. Go yeah. ahead. I was going to say in, you know, in that situation, unless a guy is really, hammering them trapping you're never going to get enough of them to make a difference no and that's where the foundation wildlife management came in and he's trying to get it to where it's two thousand dollars a wolf so we get some of the best trappers uh to come down here and start trapping these wolves and going deeper and deeper in the trapping because if you can get five six seven wolves in a year that's you know at two thousand dollars a pop you're looking at 14 grand and that's worth it to somebody to come actually physically come here from alaska or, a pl- or canada or place a knowledgeable wolf trapper like say like you come down and actually trap these guys because it's not everywhere that's been suffering it's you know it's microclimates in the wide open spots and the place by cattle they're not nearly as effective because there's more humans involved and you know mm-hmm. one thing wolves don't like is humans so it's not just because your area has wolves and it's doing great doesn't mean all areas are. And where I live is a very forested area, and the, the elk are not doing near as well as they should be. Yeah. And not just elk, moose and sheep, or moose and sheep, moose and deer are also affected, especially the moose, because moose just don't like to run. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, and, and where they brought those wolves from, I mean, moose is their primary primary prey right yeah you know so you know whether yeah, they obviously they get you they get used to other food sources down there but kind of in their genetic code it would make sense to me that you know moose is kind of what they wouldn't surprise me if if moose is what they preferred to go after yeah and moose and elk are big and they stink so they're not hard for them to find no no, not so, at all. Yeah, and they, I mean, elk will probably give up, maybe give a little more fight, a little more chase, but still, they, they hamstring them. You know how it works. They, they're, uh, 
they kill for fun. I mean, they, they, they do eat them, obviously, but I found several carcasses that looked like they just ate the face and the butt and took off. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Seen that several times myself. Um, yeah, they just kind of are what they are. You know, people like to, ro- some people like to romanticize them. But speaking of another thing, um, is there any new news or, or I mean, it's kind of cool that they're having the grizzly seasons down there, right? Or at least they still are. Or we're yeah, to my to... knowledge, they have not. The, the lawsuits, nothing stopped it yet. Nothing at all. But there's only one in Idaho, which is kind of disappointing. There should be doesn't that a couple. Doesn't that seem like kind of just like a, oh, uh, <clears throat> what's the word I'm trying to think of? I'm retarded. Um <laughs> kind of a symbolic tag just to say oh we're doing it but not really you know i i i hopefully uh, you know i try to see the positive in it and they're just trying to get this one through yeah so it leads to more yeah because there is a significant grizzly bear population down there and they're on the, it's right next to you know it's on the border of yellowstone and I, on the idaho side uh-huh and then up here in Unit 1, by the Canadian border, in the Montana border, there's a significant population of grizzly bears. So hopefully this leads to, you know, I could see it towards five, ten tags a year, which which I think it should be. Yeah. And uh, I, there's definitely enough bears in those two locations to get like five and five. Or, You know, I'm no biologist, but I know what I see. And I used to see no grizzly bears up in Unit 1, and now I see one every other day up there in unit one. So that leads me to believe that there's a considerable grizzly bear population up there. Yeah. That's uh that's more grizzly bears than I see on most trips, you know, that I'm not out actively, actively looking for them. I mean, yeah, so, even uh, sheep yeah. hunting, you know, I saw a sow with two cubs this year, sheep hunting from like four miles away. But and granted, I'm not. I I would see more if I was actually glassing the low country. But that's not typically the direction that'll help you find rams. No, not at all. And that's and and the thing is, is it's up there. I guess you kind of are guarded for that. And down here, I I in the past I haven't been really guarded for the grizzlies, but now I I've seen a lot in the last four years. I've seen a lot of bears. So it's more of a now it's serious because there's a big, you know, as you know, the big difference between a grizzly and a black bear. I don't even think second give a black bear a second thought, even though they they lead the nation in attacks. I just don't have a natural fear for them. When I see a grizzly, it piques my attention. Yeah, I mean, and I think that I think the the statistics are just due to sheer numbers. I mean, everyone absolutely in a while, you're gonna get you're gonna get a black bear that is predatory towards people or is you know just a reactionary attack um whatever you want to say but there's just so much so many more black bears and grizzly bears that um that you're you know it that just doesn't surprise me at all but yeah i mean the from the grizzly bears i've seen and bumped into i'm way more antsy around them than i am black bears <laughs> I agree, and I, and you, you too. But I'm lucky enough to spend the 80 to 100 days a, a year in the woods, and 
I've actually never had any issues with bears. I've had more trouble with moose running me up trees than any other animal. <laughs> I've never been run up a tree, but I've been chased before. Where they get bad is in the when they get bad is in the springtime, like around yeah, anyway, any time from like February till the snow melts in April. Um, they just get tired and, and, you know, if it's a real, a lot, like la this last winter, we had a ton of snow and you get real deep snow, you know, they, they'll stand on roads and tray, you know, snow machine trails. They won't want to get off the trail because, you know, they, they just are out of energy and don't want to walk through the deep snow. But uh, I'm always... I'm always lucky enough to run into them during spring bear season when they just had a calf. Oh yeah, that that and, that'll get you too. <laughs> yeah, and I I was walking this in Idaho is pretty thick, and I was northern Idaho is thick, and I was walking along, and all of a sudden the mom stands up, and I'm maybe 15 yards, and her ears are pinned back. You know the you know the oh, look. Oh yeah. And uh, sure enough, the calf stands up, and it's like maybe 10 yards from me. So I'm now between the calf i have the calf between me and the oh, mom so man. i just so she comes huffing over i just had to go up a tree and she took off but it's still i mean they're just dicks yeah <laughs> yeah moose are way meaner than bears on average they just yeah they are they stand their ground yeah and and they're intimidating man i mean if, if a person has never and you guys got them baby moose down there I mean, oh man you sound like luke got those little <laughs> tiny guys you know, about it, if a person has never, like, been that close, you know, standing up face-to-face -face with even, even like, a big cow up here, like, it's pretty intimidating, you know. Yeah, even, and it's just totally different than bears. What I'm trying yeah. to figure out what I'm getting at, but it's, man, they'll, they'll definitely command your attention when they they start getting all hackled up and they're right there and they're like seven foot tall at the shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They like you're talking about where they, you catch them on a, a snow trail, but I always seem to catch them on a overgrown logging road where there's really no place to dive off real quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're just standing there. They may not, they're, they're not as big as those Yukon moose, but they're big enough. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, they, they tend to not chase you too, like too hard. <laughs> no, I've only had really one that 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 particular cow come after, but I did have a bull that was. It was during the rut, and I was I was pretending to be quiet, like I was an elk, but I think he thought I may have been a lady moose, and he wanted to investigate more than actually come over and charge me, but enough to get me excited. Yeah, that happened to me. Uh, I was. Uh, a few years ago, guiding, you know, helping guide some moose hunters, and uh, I was the guy that I got left in camp to clean everything up and, and fly out the next day. It was the day after season, and I called four bulls into camp that night, and none, they all, I, I kind of quit messing with them right about dark, and man, that one bull was raking behind the tent all night long, like 20 yards behind the tent and closer. I tried to run him off once, but it didn't work too well. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't seem to get the hint. No, I just, I was like, oh, please don't tear up the tent <laughs> or stomp me, yeah. you know. I just, I quit messing with him and just like laid down in my sleeping bag, zipped it up and hear, oh, oh. <laughs> like, 
shit, he's right there. <laughs> Could hear his legs like walking through the grass right behind camp. That's but, never good. Never good. No. Right. Yeah, right. So I got all night and dark. And then there was two of them. I woke up, I think it was four or five o'clock in the morning, woke up and two of them were fighting right behind camp. Lord. I'm like, well, too bad the season's over. <laughs> that's, the way, that's the way it works for me. Yeah. Yeah, I've had, had so much of that happen. But uh But yeah, man, so you got you got a whole lot of whole lot of hunting coming up this season. You're gonna be a tough guy to get a hold of. Even tougher than yeah. normal. Yeah, I got a pro I have the I definitely have a problem with answering the phone, as people know. Do you uh um, Sorry. No, you're good. No, I was gonna say, do you have any uh is there any like gear in particular you're real excited to try out this year or put into put into use that's new this year? Um, man, I built it. It's not really new gear, but it's new to me. I built a uh, a thirty Lapua improved that I'm really excited to see how it does on elk. Nice. Yeah, I don't know. Shooting two those new two thirty uh, Sierra Match Kings. Ah. Oh. On your so, experience, do those match kings hold up pretty well out at out at once you get out there a ways? So the old ones, they they were great. The new ones, I have no idea. From what I've heard, they're almost too hard. Huh. They stay together too well. Yeah, but I have not shot any animals with the new ones. They're they're a lot sleeker looking. They're a lot racier looking, and. Uh, yeah, so we'll see how that goes. But yeah, because uh, I was shooting service rifle. I, of course, always shot Match Kings. When I was shooting M14, it was like 168s. And then all the, you know, shooting, once I switched over to the AR, it was 77s and the 80s. But it's, so it's been a while, actually, since I really looked at Match Kings. But I did shoot a sheep with an Amax a few years ago. Oh, Amaxes are deadly. Yeah, <laughs> that thing <laughs> never knew what hit him. I mean, it was 300 yards, and, you know, that thing just, it did, I say to say exploded is a little more, but it, I mean, it did a number on that sheep, like, totally, completely adequate. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know if it's normal in Alaska, but down here, people, I have way better luck, and I know people have way better luck with their target bullets of whatever manufacturer than I do with the actual you know, hunting bullet, which I don't know if that's the case up there or not. You know, I don't know. And like that Amax, like I probably, you know, out of the 6.5 Creedmoor is what it was, of course, which we can touch on that in a minute. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it uh, um, I was going to say, is 140, 140 Amax. And I would, you know, I wouldn't shoot a moose with it, with that 6.5 with the Amax. It didn't hold together, you know. Granted, it would probably do just fine, but ah, a little bit. I, now, we did, uh, my father-in-law got a 338 Lapua last year, and I helped him set it, worked up loads, and worked up those, uh, load with those uh, 28, I think they're 285 ELDMs, the Hornadies. Yeah, yeah. Shot really well, and... Uh, both him and my brother-in-law shot moose with that rifle, and we recovered a couple bullets. And just like so you couldn't couldn't describe like a better 
perform, you know, better performance on a hunting bullet. Just, you know, great weight retention, but good expansion. And, um, yeah, I hear they're great. They're great. I, sh- I shot two mule deer last year. I shot one. My wife shot another with a 180 match out of a seven mag, and they did great. So what i hear luke moffitt said the 225 match do not work great on kodiak bears he did tell me that huh out of what rifle was he shooting those out of with luke man you never know some weird (laughs) ass exotic gun i don't i want to say it was like a. I don't know is who knows i don't let's see what the heck else um match bullets oh yeah the six five creedmoor so that's Hey, that's the only gun anybody ever needs for every animal in the world. <laughs> so, are you a, are you a Creedmoor hater or a Creedmoor lover? Mm-hmm. I don't hate any real round. I think they all have their strengths and weaknesses. But what I hate is fanboys. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't do everything. It's not going to knock down your elk at seven hundred yards or thousand yards like people claim. Nope. There's better See, better tools for the job. And I I agree with you there. Although I think it would be just totally, you know, and from talking to some guys, totally adequate on elk at closer range, you know, say inside 400, just picking yeah, it up. Yeah, you know, I don't, anything above 6.5 to me, and this is just one fat kid's opinion, anything out to 400 yards, 6.5 and above, you know, it's not, it's not stupid. Yeah, you know, is going to work. It's the longer ranges, but I want I will say that last year was a real eye opener for me because I built a twenty eight nozzler. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of elk die. I've witnessed. I've shot a lot of elk. I witnessed a lot of elk die more than the average person. And um, boy, that seven mag just was not. It killed every elk I shot, but I had to shoot them a lot to where the thirty cows, the three thirty eights seem to just anchor them a whole lot quicker. And the one thing you do not want to happen in North Idaho is that elk to make it into that next drainage because you don't, it's really wet all the time here. Yeah. And it rains a lot and you want that animal dead. Yeah. But on the flip side, I watched a few animals get shot with a 6.5, 6.5 Creedmoor, 6.5 Psalm, and they actually just curb stomped them. So it's like, I, I don't know what to think. I don't know what to think about that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's it's just like, I don't know, it's just like any other cartridge in some ways. Uh, like you said, it has its strengths and weaknesses. I think it's deserving of, <clears throat> I don't know, praise. It sounds like, sounds ridiculous, kind of stupid for me to say something like that. But um, there's things I really like it for. I think it, I don't know. The upside to it. I think it outshoots a 308 at most ranges. Oh, yes. I would uh, agree with that, 100%. You know, granted, and you can still get the stuff done. It's it's not like a magic cartridge, but it does have its merits. You know, and I've kind of been following it since it came out as a a competitive cartridge. Um, The thing thing it has going for it is, well, it has four things I can think of off the top of my head now. It has relatively low recoil. It yeah. has a gr- great BCs. It has a ton of options now for bullets. Yeah. And and 
now that all these six five bullets coming out, making all this great brass come out for the six five Creedmoor. Yeah. So. Yeah, and it's so. every one of them I have is just shot lights out, you know. So, I and I can kind of see both sides of the fence. I can kind of underst- understand the guys that are just, even though it pisses me off a little bit, I can understand the guys that all oh, you know just want nothing to do with it, and it's like the man bun of of cartridges because everyone's <laughs> doing it. My thing to that was what was wrong with the two sixty. I. And really nothing, because there there was nothing wrong with the 260. The reason, the the reason they switched that up and the and the I believe was it David Tubbs that worked with Hornady to make it originally. I can't remember because he he's a a pretty well known um, competitive shooter, high power shooter. Yeah. And the reason they made it like that, like they did, was to get it to fit in a true short action. With basically the same ballistics or close to of a 260 to fit in a short action for the space gun shooters, the bolt bolt gun shooters, and across the course for the rapid fires is what it was. Gotcha. So they can cycle the bolts faster because a 260 can't fit in a true short action when you load it with those high, you know, those high BC bullets. Interesting. You know, I, so I like a two, a two, six, well. a two sixty is kind of like in between, you know, like a true standard action and a short action, you know. So it's you know, and it, it, I think what it what a lot of it boiled down to, at least the way I understood it, was to get that package into something that fits into a true short action. Now for hunting, that doesn't really matter, you know. So whether you're shooting that the two sixty or the six five Swede. Like they're all right there, but um, I'm. I mean, uh, so the you know the Creedmoor doesn't stand out in many other ways to me other than that, and it's not a huge factor. But now I, you know, for whatever reason, that really caught fire and became super popular. So now there's components everywhere. So yeah, it's a great cartridge, and why not shoot it? Because I can find whatever I need for it. You know. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think if you'd know what it can and can't do, I think it'd be perfectly fine. Yeah. It's uh I'd shoot, I wouldn't hesitate to shoot a moose with it with decent bullets. Man, on a, on that note, I built a 6 Creedmoor. And I yeah. am not well well versed in small rounds. I'm a big Magnum guy. I know a lot about them. I don't know a lot about the 65s and below, but I built a 6 Creedmoor and it's just a tack driver. And my buddy's daughter, who just turned 10, the legal age in Idaho last yeah. last winter, she shot a, a cow elk, a big cow elk, at 485 with a 108-grain match. And it went through both shoulders and exited. So Wow. Who am I to say they don't work? Yeah, I've only got to shoot the, a six Creedmoor once. And I guess, you know, from and that was kind of um, one of my editors, John Snow, his if you want to call it his brainchild, he worked with Hornady to get that one put out. Is he, is he on the Game of Thrones? No. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I don't watch that show, so I, I don't know what you're getting at, but it's going over my head. <laughs> it's a John there's a John Snow on there. I just wonder if he's oh, the same guy or not. Oh no. But uh right. anyway I think, yeah, I, I got to shoot the first, I think it was the first six Creedmoor there, 
was ever made, a GA, um, George Gardner right. rifle of his that he had. Um, but I think, and I think like the advantage, like so many, they're, they're trying to, you know, those precision rifle cartridges, they're trying to balance low recoil with velocity and performance, you know? Oh, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid too. Cause I'm going to, I'm building a six, five PRC right now. Light one. Oh yeah. Yeah. I just want to see what I'll do on a, on a side note. I started, I think, you know, this, I started importing Bertram brass in America and selling it. Yeah. So we have six, five PRC brass, six, five song brass and six, five WSM brass coming. Huh? So I just want to try those out and see how they do. Yeah. Yeah, that's getting a little beyond my my experience level, but <laughs> do you have a you you have a six five Creedmoor? I have four of them, I think. Oh my, you are a fanboy. No, I well, <laughs> I have four of them in my possession. A couple. No, one, two, three, four, four five. <laughs> you can tell us the truth. You I got think, like ten of those. I, have, I think I have five of them. <laughs> Uh, and like, what, what do you hunt with? What is the like lightest one? Um, that was a, uh, I never actually, the one I killed my sheep with last year was a Winchester XPR and they were sponsoring the, that kind of that content series for the points North page I run. And, uh, you know, for like a lower end, lower end, kind of like most people would call it a bargain rifle, mm-hmm. you know, not, not a super fancy, you know, affordable rifle. I think it was like a $500 rifle. I mean, the thing shot great. Um, and, uh, that was in six, five Creed more shot. We shot me and my buddy Frank shot both our sheep with the same rifle last year, which he actually shot his sheep with that same rifle this year. Um, the year before I didn't shoot one, but he shot one with that, um, Browning X bolt. And I, I really like that X bolt. It's kind of grown on me. It's probably one hell of a sheep gun. Huh? Yeah, it's good for, for a factory rifle, man. It's not too bad on weight. It's light, you know, it's, it's, you know, the ergonomics of it fit me really well. And I like that short degree bolt throw. Cause after I, you know, I went back to my, my custom Remington this year and initially like it uh, takes some getting used to that, like full, however many, you know, 80 degree, 90 degree bolt throw. How does that compare to the Tika, that X bolt? Uh, I don't have a Tika, so I probably, I can't really say, I guess. No, I can't say on weight and everything, but it's, yeah, what was it? I'd be lying if I said the numbers off the top of my head, but it's a pretty light rifle, light, accurate. And then uh, I got a couple of the heavy barrel X-bolts, and those things are tack drivers. Huh. And uh, I've, never, I've never messed with one. I hear they shoot good. They do every one of my every one of them I've shot because Brown you know we've been was we're working with Browning a lot the last couple of years and uh, that's kind of the rifle they were all about at the time and for good reason you know I had never messed with them but but it kind of convinced me they all shot really well short bolt throws um, never had any problems with any of them um, those heavy barrel six fives was shooting out to fourteen hundred with them. 
Jimmy Christmas. I, now, now it rings a bell with, I think Luke Moffat's buddy shot a, a grizzly at like 1,100 yards with a 6.5 Creedmoor. Huh. Killed it. Yeah, they, uh, you know, it's so much that's, it's the guy behind the gun more than the caliber, but uh, it is it is a pretty good cartridge, and it's kind of, it's half comical, half frustrating to see, like, <laughs> just the a both the hype behind it because the it's it is a little overhyped. Although I am glad to see that you know it makes the components show up a lot easier when everybody's yeah. using it. But also, well, I don't think it deserves the hate, which also makes me question because bully. You know, you talk to me. <laughs> I I have my share of of gripes with different stuff. Oh, I think we all do. But from what I hear, you can just set one on a stump and come back the next day and there'll be a dead animal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, oh, and it's, it kind of, it kind of burns because I've said that kind of stuff about so many things. <laughs> uh, I, I've been knocking on set, like I said, seven, my 284 calibers for the last year. And the truth is, is they work, they they work just fine. I mean, that, I had a bad run with them, but not everybody will. Yeah. But, but I still am going to sh- shoot off with a thirty cal, a big one. Big one, huh? You're one of those guys. Well, the thing is, is and people get irritated with me because I don't, I don't care how that first five hundred yards is. I care that next five, six, seven hundred yards is. Yeah. So it has to work to twelve hundred yards, and people say, "Well, you know, you can have that whole debate all day whether what is or is not hunting." But yeah. I want to be able to shoot an animal. I'm not out there to pick daisies and look at the scenery. I want to be able to shoot to 1,200 yards to kill the animal I'm after. Yep. So that's totally different. I totally agree with you on that 6.5 Creedmoor out to four or 500 yards on pretty much any, you know, non-big bear probably animal out there in North America. Yeah. But yeah, and, and and of course this goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. Ryan practices extensively, and if you know if you don't shoot at distances regular, and I mean I mean you probably practice a lot farther than you'd be willing to take a shot, and you in in on an animal, and of course there's all the variables that go into deciding whether or not you're gonna take a shot. Yeah, and you have to know, you have to practice enough, and this is cliche, and I've heard it before, so it isn't me saying this, but you have to shoot enough to know when not to shoot. Yeah. And uh, I shot, I think I shot four to 5,000 rounds last year, and I would say probably two to 3,000 were over 1,000 yards, so yeah. I'm not just spraying and praying, I'm putting the time in, you know, just like you with your stick bow, and I used to hunt with a stick bow a ton before my shoulder went bad. You put time after time after time in, and it's, I am shocked, just like you're shocked when you miss that 15-yard shot with your stick bow. I am shocked when I miss a 900-yard shot on an animal. Yeah, and I didn't even miss, but by like six inches, <laughs> you know. But yeah, exactly. I know exactly what you mean, and it's and it's true, you know, you can't, you know, and when you put that much time in, you know when you lay down to take a shot that it's going to happen. You know, like I caught a little bit of flack for shooting my sheep at 465 last year, which I was like, what? It doesn't, you know, no, not everybody should be doing that, but. 
you know, I no, you, you you're exactly like, right. I, I knew exactly where I was going to hit that sheep, and the, you know, if, if I had any doubt that he wasn't going to be dead, I wouldn't have pulled the trigger. No, absolutely. You shouldn't be breaking that trigger unless you know in your hard hearts it's a hundred percent that that animal's going down, and you're you're just dumbfounded if it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You owe it to the animal. Oh yeah, totally. You know? I mean, that's that's the that's the primary thing. Not to get too like touchy feely, but you do. Yeah, you there, there's no way around it. We're trying to kill something, and we're trying to do it humanely and quickly as possible. Yep. Yeah, I agree. There's there's just a big difference between like practiced, <clears throat> you know, being completely confident in a shot. And that whole, you know, I think everybody's been through it. You know, maybe it's when you were a kid, if you start out early, but, oh, well, he's out there, he's getting away, you know, maybe I'll get lucky and hit him type of shot. No, like you don't do that. <laughs> if that no, makes sense the, to you. Yeah. With a, and truthfully, with a stick bow and a long range gun, they're not that different. You have, you have to set up and you have to be methodical and it has to be right. Yep. So yeah, any running with a bow and running with a gun isn't. There's no difference there. I, that's that's the thing that cracks me up. And I'm not trying to get off on my my soapbox here, but no, I it. get chast, <laughs> chastised by people all the time that would take a 300 yard running shot on a deer, but they're mad at me from taking a shot at 700 yards on an animal that doesn't even doesn't even know that I'm there. And people get mad about that and say that's not fair chase, but that's a whole other argument. But those same guys are spraying and praying and shooting deer in the ass or an elk in the ass at 300 yards on the run or a hundred or a hundred. Yeah. You know, everybody has a different, different limit, but it just cracks me up. And then you have the bow, the compound bow hunters, you know, fighting with the stick bow hunters that they're not ethical when they're taking 80 and not all of them, but there's a big majority taking 80, 90, hundred yard shots and an 80 yard shot, 90 yard shot is the same as an eight or 900 yard shot. So don't tell me you're not in the long range. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's, and and it is. It's like <clears throat> it's a lot of you know very similar variables come into play once you get out there with a bow. I mean, I haven't shot a compound for several years, but um, yeah. Well, so I don't, I, I don't have any business getting that far with my stick bow, but no, I was a twenty-five tops guy, and that was. If the moment was right, <laughs> I think you know when I'm when I'm shooting a lot and really dot, tuned in, and it I mean it kind of depends on the day almost. Like fit, I was really good out to about fifty. That's amazing. That's a long ways, and that's where you know because now I'm hope I'm <clears throat> kind of the plan is to to hunt sheep with a bow next year, so that's where I need to get myself back to. I think. Is, yeah, you know, it's hard to get away from. It's hard to get. It, that's more than even more than compound, more than shooting long range of the rifle. Shooting that stick bow, even much past twenty yards, it's so perishable. You got to get on that every day. You know that. You know the fight that happens. Yeah, yeah. It's going to so. take a. Uh, it's going to take a lot of shooting to get back to that. And I'm really next summer wanting to do. You know, go to some places where I can practice some really steep angle shots. Oh, I can't even imagine shooting at a sheep or a goat up there in that kind of an angle. You know, but 
Yeah, I got a whole got a whole year to talk about it. But if I if I take my bow, there there cannot be a rifle there. That's what I know. That's all I know, know for sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's like I tell every stick bow shooter: best thing you can do is sell that compound. Same thing with the rifle and a bow hunter. Yep, taking a bow hunt a rifle on a bow hunt. Yeah, so. didn't one of Aaron's buddies because he came. One of Aaron's buddies came up here sheep hunting and. I remember Aaron saying something about he told him to take a right to if he was taking a rifle and a bow, just leave his bow home because he's going to use a rifle. Dude, that never ever made sense to me when I watched those videos where a guy had a bow and a rifle. Yeah, ever. Because I mean, I know myself. If I get stuck, I'm using the rifle, and you're going to get stuck. Absolutely, you know? or you're going to perceive that you're stuck and use it anyways. Yeah. You're yeah. just going to say, ah, oh, no, I, I don't want him to get away. And so that's how well, it's going to have you, to go. Well, you know, you bow hunt long enough. If you bow hunt, it's, there's, at some point you have to risk it. And you're not going to take that risk if you have a way out. Yep, exactly. Yeah, so I'm going to hunt with a stick bow next. I've made my decision. I was going to do it this year, but I drew, I end up having a New Mexico rifle tag in September, so I'd not go in bow hunting. But next year, I will hunt two elk with my stick bow, two different tags. Well, maybe next year we can, uh, maybe next year I'll have to come down there and see if elk hunting's really as tough as you guys all say it is. Dude, you're more than welcome. And I will say Idaho is one of the worst places to say that because it does suck. Yeah. <laughs> but you'll have opportunity. You should come down. We should uh, come on down, do some video, and then talk some shit and sling some arrows yeah that'd be awesome get a good get a good camp of guys it's going to be a keto free camp though keto no <laughs> beer and keto free or keto camp no yeah we're gonna have beer and it's not it's going to be a keto free camp like oh okay, okay no okay. keto allowed <laughs> gotcha gotcha i was thinking in reverse no we should do that we should have uh oh snyder come down or come up and then you come down yeah, that'd and, be fun. Uh, maybe Mookie too. We can maybe convince him to come. Yeah, yeah. Stick bows only. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, yeah, that'd, that'd be, be an awesome, awesome time. Because I, I mean, I, you know, quote unquote hunted elk when I was a kid with my dad, and my dad got a couple of them with his recurve. But I mean, I really know nothing about elk hunting. You know what, Tyler? I've hunted them for I think twenty something years, and I know shit about elk hunting. They just happen to be dumb enough to be in front of me once in a while. I just remember the, like, hyper-hot cow call. Oh, God, that was a <laughs> long time ago. Yeah, I'm telling you, it was a long time ago. I, I know an old-timer that still uses it and still works for him. Yeah, it, uh, can't say. Have you ever tried, like, that, that elk ink mule deer, that deer talk call for mule deer? No, but I think you were the one that was telling me to try it. Yeah, dude, I, uh. I mean, my dad, of course, got the video when I was, I don't know if it was Elk Inc. Is that Eastman's that owned that? Um, I do not know who owns it now. I can't remember, but I remember my dad getting getting the, the deer talk thing because he always had that cow talk chirper, you know, when he was when I was a kid. Right. And uh, we got the deer talk and the video of them calling in all these bucks, and we tried it, and it worked. Um, you know, during the archery season, I think that was the last season, the one I'm thinking of, I think it was the last season Colorado was not draw for mule deer 
or you could get over the counter mule deer tags. Really? Yeah. And uh, we didn't never got any shots, but we called in a bunch of deer, even you know during archery season, and then um, trying to use it for coyotes called a bunch of big bucks in a couple different times in the winter. Huh. And um, I finally, I was, you know, when I was going down to a fognac every fall. I was going down there during the during the blacktail rut in Thanksgiving, and I was thinking, oh, well, tr- they're like basically just a miniature mule deer. I'll try the you know try this thing out on them, and it worked really good on those. Like I, we killed quite a few deer using that, quite a few blacktails using that deer talk call. So, do you sound like a fawn, or do you sound like a buck? How's you sound that? like one side of it's high pitched like a fawn. And the other side's like a doe. I mean, during doe, the... Like a bleat? Yeah, during the rut, we would just doe bleat, you know. Not not like real frantic or anything, just... <laughs> and, you know, pause. <laughs> I mean, that's literally all it was for... You know, we'd do stands for like 15, 20, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and oh, called in a ton of deer. Or we'd be, you know, kind of still hunting and spot a buck up there and then call him right in and shoot him. Well, now I'm about to try that. It's worth a shot, man. They're cheap. And I, I, I granted, I only have very, very limited experience with actual mule deer with them. But, I mean, it seemed like they worked. And I don't know, you know, I could never gather why more people weren't using them. No, I've no. I, I think you are the one that told me, and I've never even heard of them until you told me. Yeah, it's just a little because have you seen the the elk talk ones that are gray? Yeah, yeah it's just yeah. deer talk. It's the same thing, but it's black with a different rubber band. And I think they make the power bugle too, if I'm not mistaken. They might. I can't remember, but it's elk like E L K Inc. Um, that makes those calls. But yeah, I mean that's a. That's a fantastic blacktail call if you're going to Kodiak or, or a Fognac or whatever. Um, Can you rattle those guys in, or do they do that? Um, they, I know, I know guys that have rattled them in. I never really messed with it because when I started calling them, I just used that, and that worked so so freaking well that you know I was like, why even bother with anything else? I can't blame you. There. But yeah, I mean, you call you know, and I was was calling in does and bucks with it i mean just every single stand you you know if the conditions were right they were coming in so yeah i mean i i don't know i have a hard time believing that like a universal secret call that's going to work every time is is out there and no one knows about it but um that certainly was one thing and and you know because a lot of guys i think a lot of guys in southeast alaska there's a few guys that make calls they're kind of Oh, whistle kind of calls. I'm kind of talking out of my ass because I haven't heard a lot of them. But, <laughs> you know, you, you see them and, and whatnot. And, I mean, because I've heard those does bleat and the fawns bleat and those, those deer talk calls sound exactly like them. Well, damn, now you piqued my interest. I'm going to have to get one and try it because up here there's not a lot of mule deer where I hunt. November mule deer, there's a lot more white tails, but yeah, be interesting if they're call either or in. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I know guys that for black tails have used those uh, call those like 
um, dough in a can, like the turn the can over bleat calls. That are, yeah, the Primos ones they have. That, yeah, that are meant for whitetails. I know guys have used those, you know, like them for blacktails, but I think the little mule deer one sounds a lot more like the blacktails do. Huh. You're full of surprises. Uh, do what I can, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I can, uh, I think I've called in one deer with the bleak call, and I've rattled in one buck rattling and that's it and that's with a lot of days trying i think even early season you know with that you know even just do, like you'll i don't know we called in both does and bucks but a lot of does and you can bolt you know you can mess with the the you know the doe side just kind of a casual bleat or the fawn side kind of a fawn in distress which i think that's a little more known you know doing a fawn in distress because the does will come tearing in after you um when you do that at least in my my extremely limited experience like 17 years ago which sounds sounds weird saying that but i'm 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 actually have been living in alaska for more than half my life now so I guess. Well, that. dude, I, I I just ordered one in with the DVD. I'll let you know how it goes. Yeah, nah, let me know, man. I'm I'm curious to see. And hey, and you know, like I said, they're cheap and and yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'm spending way too much time on this stupid deer call. <laughs> <laughs> dude, that's the greatest thing ever about podcasts is you can talk about whatever the hell you want to, Tyler. Yeah. Speaking of uh, <laughs> whatever the hell you want, what uh. Uh, now, I guess for listeners, Ryan's one of those guys, and same with Aaron, where go back and forth on stuff that's like annoying in part. And I was kind of, I think I explained to you, Ryan, when I was wanting to start this podcast, I just like, one of the things is all just the, f- I don't even know what to call it, just the, whether it's fakeness in the, in, the outdoor industry. If, if I'm like struggling to find the words to describe the stuff that like has pissed me off so much. Um. Well, I think the whether the biggest. it's posers or, or and and you know that sounds super mean to say, but it's like there's so much out there that is just it's just bullshit, you know. And and guys that are very experienced can just see right through it. Um. Yeah, you definitely, and, and the problem is, is when we complain about it, we just sound like we're crying over spilt milk, I guess. But or or just the, be or just being meanies, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's just, but the, it's the problem is, like I said before, there's never been a time where you have so much information. But the problem with it is, is now there's so much information you got to wade through the bullshit, and there's a lot of people, guys and gals, that are getting on Instagram that they don't have. You can tell they don't have a true love for hunting tomorrow if rockside went away and podcasts went away and everything that i had to, to do with online went away i'm still going to be getting my stuff together to go hunting next week the week after that i'm going to go hunting again and every day when i wake up i'm going to be thinking about hunting and i think more more and more you're getting people involved with it that their heart's not into the hunting their hearts of what can i do to post some shit up so i can get more followers yeah and that's it's kind of strange to me and 
and maybe it's a little hypocritical because I like want more traction too, but I guess my, my end goal is whatever, like gets me more time hunting and doing the stuff I like to do. And, you know, I like sharing the story. Obviously I enjoy writing. I enjoy doing this. This is kind of a whole, whole new platform for me to be able to, you know, talk about this different stuff that I'm very passionate about. Um, Man, I'm just tripping all over myself right now. <laughs> That's a problem doing it late at night is your uh, your mind's not fired on all cylinders. Yeah. But, no, I get that. And the, and the other part I have with it is people, there's a lot of great information, like I said, and there's a lot. There's so much misinformation, and there's so many people putting out information that is not correct Is it's hard to wade through it and find the actual authentic guys, you know, the guys like you, the guys like Aaron, the guys like Ryan Lampers, those guys are the, you know, cream of the crop. You, you guys should be rising and you get muddled with all this other bullshit of media, you know, meteorocracy. And it's hard to find the guys that you should be listening to. You don't need to have half your, your tits hanging out to uh, get followers. Do it the right way. You don't have to go to the gym every day to hunt in the woods. And I'm not knocking guys that are fitness guys that hunt, but I think it it, it kind of overshadows people, or it not overshadows, it kind of uh, intimidates people into not doing it because they're not at the peak of fitness. Well, I'm, I'm a fat guy from Idaho, and I shoot elk every year, so you can too. Yeah, and I, I that's one big one for me too, like – and. Back when I was in college and had the, you know, of course I can make excuses. Back when I had plenty of free time, I liked to stay in really good shape and whatnot. But, you know, just that thing, that, that really irritates me. Is even if no one's saying it, you're giving the impression that you can't, like there's this barrier. Like unless you're in this good a shape or unless you're doing this and this and this, like you, you're doomed. Like you might, like why even, why even go out when I literally did not do shit this summer, you know, aside from normal day to day work and stuff like that, throw on my backpack by myself. You know, (laughs) I think it it was kind of a short hike in this year, I think, because I got the four wheeler ways and I think it was, seven or eight miles to where I started hunting. But mm-hmm. between where I left the four wheeler, I didn't, I haven't added up how many miles I did the whole trip, but it was 4,000 feet above the four wheeler where I killed my sheep. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing I think that you need. That's why I'm glad you started your podcast is because, and, and don't, and I, and I also, I fight with this too is cause I'm a gear junkie you don't need on the, on the same token as you don't have to be a stellar athlete to hunt in the Rockies or in Alaska. You don't have to have top quality gear. I'd rather see you get, you know, okay gear that will, that you'll get by with and buy those tags and buy that gas and get your ass out there and start hunting. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, that's until, you know, it's really more of a recent thing that I've had like all this, these nice things, (laughs) um, you know, a lot of it's been through, you know, nothing's free, but, uh, I've been fortunate enough to get a lot of nice gear, um, over the years of, of working for outdoor life. 
Um, so I can't say any of that's me, but like the first uh, five, six sheep I killed, it was like Cabela's frame pack, you know, whatever I could afford. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the first, the first spotting scope I bought was like $150 spotting scope. I'm not even kidding. Cause that's what I could afford. And right. it said it was waterproof and no, like not even in the same world as Swara as my Swarovski I got now. <laughs> but I yeah. mean, I wasn't going to let that stop me and I made it work. I had to put in more effort to get close enough to tell if a, if a damn sheep was legal. <laughs> yeah. And you were backpack hunting with that stuff. Yeah. Backpack hunting with that, you know, heavy stuff. And then, you know, I upgraded to a $500 spotting scope and even that wasn't great. I think, yeah, I was using that till through 2010, I think. Well, it's, it's, so it's been it's, uh, a while, but you, you know, you can do it. You know, I, I hate seeing that. And, and what it's why I, I have a hard time sometimes even, or I'm cautious about praising like really, really good gear. That's super expensive. You know, I have no mm-hmm. problem saying it is what it is. Like it's really good and it's really expensive, but some stuff I'm like, yeah, if it was me, I would really, you know, get this instead and put that extra money towards the spotting scope. Cause that is obviously one of the, for sheep hunting, one of the critical, one of the critical things, but I mean, all at almost it, for, I'm, and I'm talking for a resident thing can go do it without an outfitter. You know, and, you know, whether that's speaking to elk hunting down there, wherever you're at, you know, at almost any level, you can go do it. It may be tougher and it may be, may take a lot more work with the equipment you can get, but you can do it. Oh, absolutely. And a contrary to popular belief, Cameron Haynes and Aaron Snyder and those guys, they didn't invent backpack hunting. There's been people doing it since the freaking 50s 60s and probably before that oh yeah yeah it's i i met a guy in 19 that i met a guy hunting that became a good friend of mine that started backpack hunting in the late 60s and just imagine the crap that they had but yet he would still went and he was still successful yeah there's uh i mean there's a number got one guy in particular that i don't think he will i don't think he wants to come on a podcast has been, you know, backpack hunting since the, I want to say the late 50s, maybe early 60s. But trips that, you know, because I've been in a lot of this country, trips that they used to do back in the early 70s that I'm like, even with the gear I have now, I'm like, oh, that looks, that sounds rough. <laughs> you know, just oh, rough. Yeah. Um, even with, with all this modern gear, they were doing 40 years ago, you know? Oh, it's unbelievable. If you should really have Patrick Smith on, tell him to have him tell you the stories about when he was first getting started in the backpack hunting. Oh, that would be a good one. I haven't talked to Patrick in forever. So he would be a good one to have on. Cause he's, he's oh. actually, and he's hunted up. He spent a lot of time in Alaska too. Oh, the stuff that the, I spent quite a bit of time with him when I was working on the website down there and. The stories he has about the early that he always calls it back when I was a youngster. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, you may have beat everything probably. to death. I think so, man. Back and forth and around, but it's been great catching up with you, Ryan. Man, I appreciate you taking the taking the time to do this, and uh, hopefully, well, so, hopefully someone, hopefully, I know, hopefully someone's been able to find some sort of useful information. And I found myself saying that very often, but dude, I there's we went around the bush a few times, but there's some. I know I may say that so myself. There was some good info there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, man, uh, uh, definitely appreciate it. And uh, if uh, and yeah, if you listeners have any comments or questions, you can email podcast at tundertalkak.com. Thanks, Ryan. Hey, thanks a lot, Tyler. <laughs>